As one of our greatest wordsmiths of all time, Brock Lesnar once told Hulk Hogan, Party's over, Grandpa. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Hey, come on in, have a seat. Gather around. It is the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ. That's Zach. Thank you for being here. It's good to do this with friends. And I consider my closest friends those that click play on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and that join us over at Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com. Sorry, sorry. Patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast. Or follow us on Twitter. Or follow us on TikTok. Or subscribe to us on YouTube. Thank you for being here, Zach. It is so comforting to have such a close friend as we lay the 2023 Guardian season to rest. I'm so happy to have you by my side so I can just think back fondly on all the good times that we had throughout this season. Do you remember them all? Did you say times? Plural? I put a call out for it on Discord because I knew, I knew there was going to be no way I could remember every crazy thing that happened as we finally truly lay this season to rest. We wanted to do that over at Patreon. But you said we weren't quite there yet. I mean, we were pretty close. You you lose the series the way you did to the they Twins. Were, the season was it in was hospice. A series we felt like they needed a sweep. But the playoff hopes, whatever the, you had left of them, clearly <laughs> gone after this weekend and, and dropping three of four. But I did put the call out. As I was starting to go through the replies over at Discord, I was shocked. <laughs> I looked back on a couple of them and I thought, that was this year? You've got to be kidding me. There's no way that that was this year. But that happened at least six or seven times as I was looking through some of the replies that I called for. Do you think, on a general level, this season will be memorable? Do you think, I'm trying to think about looking back at past years and which ones are just a blur? Which ones happen? Like, if you go year by year, I mean, I'm thinking of years that failed to meet expectations. Like 2012, I'll remember that 5 and 24 August until the day I die. Ugh. And then there are some seasons where it's just like, okay, 2008, they traded Sabathia. There's Cliff Lee won the Cy Young, but there's not much that sticks with you. And there have been some lousy seasons like 2003. Can you say anything that happened in 2003, 2009? No. 10? (laughs) You know, with recency, there are some things I remember about 14 and 15, but 20 years from now, I don't think I'm going to remember 2015. So I'm just curious. I mean, 2021, like Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in Texas at the end of the season thinking, oh, finally, the finish line. This was some really boring, brutal baseball to watch with players who weren't part of the future. But that's not a season that I'm going to remember anything about. What about 2023? 10, 15, 20 years from now? Do you think you'll remember anything about yeah, this year? I, I actually think you... Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think we will. It will stand out just like every time we talk about a team that didn't follow up on a good run and a team that had expectations. So we talk about, oh, wait, yeah. You talk about 06 because they didn't follow up 05 with anything great. 14 to an extent. So, yeah, I think because there were big expectations for a team that just made the playoffs and was this close to reaching the championship series. Yeah. Individual moments, maybe not, but there were some crazy things that as we go back through this list, I think, I think you'll be able to recall some of this stuff 20 years from now. No, you won't remember every little detail, but you'll remember a bullpen that couldn't get out late in games and class a probably leading the league in saves and blown saves. I mean, how often does that happen? The veterans that played that should not have been playing. Will you, yeah. though? But the overall theme, yeah, I think you will. I mean, I think, I you're think gonna be there like... are some some names in here. That, I think people will be pointing to this for years as like the example of, you know, the front office in this team always goes to the, I don't want to say the names now because I actually have them in the replies and I don't want to screw it up. But the overall theme, you're going to remember the fact that they were this disappointing and that it was this brutal and how stupid it was that they had some semblance of a shot at the end of this year or at the, in the final month. Yeah, I think you'll be able to recall some of this a lot more than I would be like, as you said, 2015. I don't remember anything about 2015 other than being on the Sports Illustrated cover before the, the season began. Wasn't 2015 the year of Jerry Sands? Or is that 2014? See? Exactly. See? I don't know. Yeah. It's just a weird one. Maybe it depends on what they do the next couple of years. I mean, I guess we'll remember it for Terry Francona's last season. It's just, it's weird to think, and I keep doing this. Had I told you six months ago <laughs> that you God. might not even remember Come this on. season 10 years from now. It's crazy how no, much it can see, change. I think it's BS. You'll remember it. But you'll remember it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, I don't and luckily, it. <laughs> to have closure, you need to live it. You can't just file it away because then it all comes like a dam breaking. You don't want to have that, Zach. I think you want to experience all these things like you did when you made everybody relive every bullpen meltdown. When Ahmed Rosario would seemingly be written in Sharpie before Terry Francona even got the lineup card. Like it was printed on the page. <laughs> Ahmed Rosario, second. That was the template. He just worked around that. He finally got traded for Noah Syndergaard. You remember that happened this year? <laughs> I do. That was a weird, weird night. It was after a home game, right? I think I was home. It was, yeah... That was at least you knew it was the Gabriel Arias era era at that point, but it was just long overdue. I'm at Rosario, man. I'm still getting tweets and emails from people saying that that was a huge front office blunder, trading him. How? The guy that had replaced him at shortstop has been every bit as good, so to speak, offensively, and has been much better defensively. I. I... I can't engage with these people, so I can't exp I can't speak for them. I refuse. 
They traded him. Like I've, I've, I've also gotten that. They traded him for nothing. Do you think that if they could have gotten something, that they would have gotten something? He had no trade value the year before. Given what they traded him for. When they explored at the deadline. That, right. Right. That was when right. These are peak. important things to keep in mind. Certainly much more than he was at the deadline this year. Okay, so that one came from Matt. Also, uh, Akron Rubber Ducks number one fan who's in our Discord. Also mentioned Rosario. Uh, A. Kenny will forever remember picking up half the Angels roster. And then the Angels putting the Guardians out of their misery. About five minutes later, <laughs> we got this name quite a bit. This was the one that I was referencing. Like they're gonna, they're, this one is going to be one to file away for every argument. It, remember for a long time it was, they traded Sabathia and Lee, and that was every argument led there. It's going to be, they played Mike Zanino behind the plate for months and months after it was clear they should have went to Bo Naylor? But Seth will forever remember Zanino's historically awful stretch. Felt like Christmas when Bo finally got the call. I think all I will remember about him is that he had he drew that walk against Domingo Herman in the ninth inning after Herman had shut the out. Here we go. And he was such it was such a good at bat. Here we go. And he was such a good interview, taking me pitch by pitch into his thought process. And that was his last productive at bat for a month. <laughs> and I, I have never seen a hitter look so overmatched. He was always down in the count 0-2. He just looked completely washed. And has anyone heard a peep from him or about him since? I'm sure he's trying to get healthier and still recovering, I guess, from his thoracic outlisters. It, it was, man, that was rough. $6 million. I get it. I get it at the time. But we were long past the point of knowing what that was, and going to Bo Naylor felt pretty clear. Thankfully, they finally did, and Bo Naylor looks like he belongs. Uh, Dom had pointed to the Zach Collins era, which he became the greatest hitter in franchise history, and then was designated for assignment. And your favorite name, your Immaculate Grid superstar, Mabry's Valoria was once part of this team. That happened this year. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was weird. The last few days of spring training as they were trying to assemble this roster, I should have known then. That, that was they were, weird. They were kind of... That was it? Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That it didn't make sense. You know, one of my favorite things to do every season is just going back and looking at all the backup catchers. Because you always need more than two, and I think we forget about that. And I was looking at, you know, the Texas Rangers are coming up on the schedule, and... Brett Hayes is on their coaching staff. Remember Brett Hayes? Didn't he homer in his first at bat, I think, with the club? He didn't last very long. But, you know, all the goodies, the Wilson Ramoses and the Rene Rivera, right? Sandy Leone, John Paul Gonzalez for a day. Just all the backup catchers they've had to use over the, t- the last handful of years that are so easy to forget. And it's why, you know, you always need that third, fourth guy waiting in the pipeline. So we got Zach Collins for a few days this year. Zach Collins, who I'll never forget talking to him in spring training. And he started by grabbing some chapstick and applying some chapstick. And, oh, wait, actually, it's eye black. And he was so embarrassed. It was That's a great first impression to make um, as he spread it all over his lips. Um, and that's really all I've got on Zach Collins. <laughs> 
He was he was really good in AAA at the plate oh for like God. two months and then really struggled for a couple months. Came up, went two for four, and that was that. To answer your question, Brad Hayes homered in his first start for mm. Cleveland. Not his first at bat, but his first start. April 20th, they still lost that game to Chicago. Homered one more time. Actually, two, two more times. Wow. But he finished with a 156, 229, 438 slugging percentage. That is, my friends, a 666 OPS. He once asked me to like look up. He had like a, I don't know if it was his grandfather or some, someone in his family tree, like some stat. I like barely knew him. I don't remember if I found it or not. That's all I remember about. This is all about what we'll remember. That's what I remember about Brett Hayes. He once asked me to look up a stat about a family member who must have played. We are 15 minutes into the show talking about Brett Hayes. This tells you what the season was. (laughs) You said these episodes were all going to be boring the rest of the month. I promise. Self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm going to deliver on that promise. Doot, doot. Jose Tena's debut. Was pinch running for Jose after what happened? Yeah. I mean, that scene Down goes Anderson. is, that'll be the prevailing image, I think, is you have Jose Ramirez, who never loses his cool, finally doing so after being challenged by Tim Anderson. And that is just, that was a spectacle. It's one of those, I can't believe what I'm watching right now moments. They go to war. You have everybody spilling out onto the field. You have Sarby going nuts and getting ejected and suspended you know, coaching staffs and Anderson trying to come back onto the field and all this stuff happens. And then Jose is standing at second base for what seems like eons. Tristan McKenzie brings him some water, then realizes he's ejected. Jose Tain is like, okay, this is as good a time as any to make my debut. What a story to tell my grandkids. And then all this (laughs) kerfuffle lasting 15 minutes. And what do you hear? The SpongeBob SquarePants theme song. What a perfect way <laughs> to cut the yes. tension and move on to the next hitter. I mean, that's... Danny had mentioned that too. It's just like all, all this crazy zaniness, and then oh, <laughs> like what? It, it was. It's perfect, and it's it's one of those moments, and they're rare. But you think about over the course of a season, like how many times can you say this is a this is a moment, a night that someone will write an oral history about? 10 years from now and that is one selling beer for much cheaper than you should dropping baseballs off the terminal tower right was that one i just had the a tiktok video of the balloon trying to break the balloon record and then the disaster that that became yeah and then just add this to the mix sure why not imagine telling yourself this season you will see cole calhoun batting leadoff and david fry throwing four innings of relief what the absolute f yeah, I mean, another prevailing image will be probably the 20 in the run column. I mean, I, I think that that's the thing. It's like that, that was as must-win game as it gets. And they gave up 20 runs for the first time in 21 years. Like, that's unbelievable. And just the seeing David Fry take the mound, I, well, I didn't even see it because I don't think anyone was warming in the bullpen. So they go out to switch pitchers, but you didn't really know that's what they were doing. Like, I only knew because the PR person said on the mic in the press box, David Fry is now pitching. And I'm like, I swear it's the sixth inning. It is the sixth inning. What? <laughs> yes, he, we, and, and then we you all figure, had I mean, that moment. Like, you don't go to David Fry in the sixth. David Fry had that moment. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, he was he was hitting in the cage. You know, he wasn't in the lineup that day, so he's just waiting for a pinch hit opportunity. Wrong preparation, dude. Yeah. Miles Straw <laughs> came and grabbed him in the as the fifth was about to end and said, Hey man, I think you might pitch. So Fry has the dugout. And it's like he has the dugout and Tito's like, Yeah, you're pitching. And goes straight onto the field. It was <laughs> you don't go to David Fry in the sixth oh and then go to like Nick Sandlin in the eighth. Like you knew it was Fry for the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth. There's no mercy rule. And it's like maybe they would switch. You know, I thought maybe they'd go Cam Gallagher for an inning or two, Tyler Freeman for an inning or two, but I guess it's better to just have one guy wear it all. That's, I forget that who throws the second, well, who th- makes the most throws on the diamond every single night? I mean, yeah, the starter comes out and he makes all the throws, but then he leaves and then the relievers come in and then the guy that's still behind the plate is still throwing the ball back to the pitcher. So as I looking, I was looking at him like, this dude's like 50 pitches. Well, so what? He makes the 130 throws back to the mound every single night that he's catching. So yeah, make him wear it because he's probably throwing with less conviction than he is back to the pitcher when he's on the mound in that situation. I mean, it, it's now that we're doing this, like I think the season as it's itself, you know, whatever it ends up at, you know, a team that goes 76 and 86 is just so unmemorable, right? Because they're not completely futile and they're not a good team but the things we will remember are like batshit crazy i mean this no position player had thrown four innings in 35 years and that came in a game that went i think i think the guy came in in the 16th inning um and no cleveland position player had gone four innings since i think 1936 some dude named milt so it's yeah, that that is certainly one we'll remember. And the fact that it came in a must-win game. I mean, we must built win. that up to be like they went and claimed three good pitchers solely for that purpose to beat the Twins in that series. In game 1 they give up 20 and David Fry is logging more innings than Lucas Giolito. You got to laugh. You have to laugh because if you're still taking this seriously, we need to check on your mental well-being. Like, I, I'm, I'm seriously concerned about you if you were to that point doing anything but just laughing histori- hysterically because that's what this season became. You mentioned bat sh- crazy. How about bird sh- crazy? Because Wait, Will Brennan killed yourself? a bird this year. You remember that? I don't know. I just think sometimes it's funnier when you self-censor. It mm. actually comes across more comedic. I'm probably failing. Will Brennan killed a bird this year. He killed a bird. Then he did the bird hand signal when he hit a home run. And then he got like scorching hot Just at the plate. mocking, mocking him. And he kept sighting the bird and saying like they couldn't let it, the bird die in vain and they had to carry on his legacy. And well, then the season flew the cuckoo's nest. Uh, some of these I don't even know if I want to reference. Just get to the Discord. Go over to patreon.com slash Godcast. Yeah, we're doing the additional episodes, and you'll get, we were already talking about it, in the off-season, we might be changing up when we release episodes and how we do certain things, but every week, there will be an episode of Patreon. Off-season, we usually go every other week for the free ones here at YouTube and everywhere else, but we continue doing the free episodes, but you also get access to the Discord, which doesn't die in the off-season. Sometimes it's even more entertaining, and then people are in there talking calves, and they're talking fantasy, and 
It's just a great community. So go in there, read all of the comments that I'm not going to say on this show because they may be crossing a line, but that's fine. Go do that. Go become a Patreon supporter and you get access to the Discord. I'm excited too. We recently made a list of different ideas, topics we want to cover once the off-season hits. It's a pretty long list and there's some stuff. I think there's some cool things we can do, some things we can really dive into and pick apart. Not going to be boring. There's a lot to pick apart. Borman says, the podcast where me, I brought up Zanino's pass ball thing. <laughs> he says, honestly, feels like it set the wheels of the entire season in motion. <laughs> I'm sorry if I did that. Somehow, me referencing that Mike Zanino sucked at blocking pitches at the dirt sent the season spiraling out of control. What was I thinking? Why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you step right in and say, dude, you got to have positive things to say entering the year? You know, at one job. Like, I remember when he almost went 0 for May, but I had totally blocked out how bad he was behind the plate. That was brutal. Remember the game? Where, and I, that was the worst of it. Look, Cleveland's pitchers don't, especially the relievers, don't really hold runners well. Remember that game, though, where it was like, I think he gave up five stolen bases, and then there was a sixth, I think, when maybe Gallagher came in late. And the throws were just airmailed into Lake Erie. That was rough. I don't want to pile on the guy. He was a nice dude. Seemed like if he was in a better spot to contribute, he'd be a really good leader in the clubhouse. Man, he didn't like he didn't offer anything useful. It was just rough. Just one story. One story for Zach. Uh Owen Miller. Game-winning score against the Guardians. You remember that happened earlier this year? John mentioned that. Klepp says, uh, not mentioning enough, the fact that the front office went with Joan Kenzie Noel, protecting him and his 40-man spot over Nolan Jones and Will Benson. That will be a, a one. We're going to continue to watch those two careers. We're going to watch that closely over the next several years. Didn't have to be either or. That, I think that's kind of the, the main point here. The Giolito start. You could just spend... That's another one. I think you're just going to be able to go back years from now and, and pick apart elements of that that just blow you away. Hey there, friends. Future TJ here. After we concluded the show, a few more things actually rolled in on Discord, and I wanted to include them. Need Ticks Got Ticks. Interesting name. I never would have believed that the extra inning thriller in Oakland on April 3rd that this year would have turned out like this. Imagine being able to time travel and tell the person in the comments section how the year would end. And he includes a little link to the box score. And in the comments it says, It's a small sample size, but this team seems to believe it can win every night. I didn't get a sense for the first half or more of the season of last season and into the playoffs. I love the way our lineup is constructed. Can't wait to see what will come. I want to tell you, you do want to wait on that. It's still early for 2024, says, knowing that Pete Alonso would hit a grand slam, and then he did. Oh, my God, that game in New York. <laughs> the Mad Libs getting no hit the day we traded Josh Bell. Zanino's double that fell behind the screen and left. James Karinchek repeatedly denying the pitch clock, messed with timing the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, that was pretty clear. The lights going out in Arizona mid-game, and MN guards... Our final Discord submission. 
I was trying to think of the point where something first just seemed off about this season. For me, I think it was the doubleheader sweep in Detroit when we scored two or three runs and Karinchek got walked off. So, sorry, just wanted to drop in and include those things. Back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Let us know. We'll revisit that. Maybe as the offseason unfolds, maybe you and I can sit down and do a draft oh. of all the crazy stuff that happened this year. Sounds miserable. <laughs> okay, here's one positive thing. Jose Ramirez looked good. Good series. I think that's good to see. We, I mean, we talked about him having a disappointing, oh, I don't know, month or so. I mean, right when this team really needed him to be at his best, he was not for a, a lengthy stretch. Now, we laid out some reasons on the Patreon show why that might or might not have been the case. You know, I, I thought more about it after that show was over. I thought with the way that you said Tito was very defensive about a question, a very innocent question asked about, hey, what's going on with, with Ramirez? And he, he kind of took, uh, I don't know, how, how would you, he just, he just didn't take the question well. He yeah, was he very just, defensive about it. He reacted it. as if the reporter was insulting Jose Ramirez or making some accusation that his numbers stunk or something, when in reality, he was literally just asking like his... Is there anything that explains his recent funk? And after Francona got defensive about it, he then went on to explain the reasons why he seemed to be in a funk. So it was just, it was unnecessary. Am I wild for having my conspiracy theory antenna go up for a second when he said that? He made the comment he did when Jose had the suspension and he said to Jose, hey, take this time to get away from the team because you didn't have an all-star break. Yeah. So I take that. Then he has two games with with this series where he's DHing. Now, maybe if you're just looking at that, I'm thinking he wants to create opportunities for Tyler Freeman for once. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But all of that kind of coming together it makes me wonder, is, is Jose dealing with something here at the end of the year? I mean, that's happened to him quite a bit. One, he's never going to give you any inkling. Tito's not, Jose's not. You're never going to know until after the year they say, hey, Jose's undergoing this or that. And I'm not saying that it's an excuse. It's just a reason why something might be happening. I I typically like that sort of thing because then I have a, a reason to explain what happened as opposed to just throwing my hands up and being worried about that being something that's going to carry over to next year. A, I'm happy that he had a, a, a good series here in LA to maybe put some of that to rest and maybe he's f feeling better if he was experiencing anything but I thought I felt like as I thought about those Tito comments more that he does that all the time when there's something we don't know there's something he's not quite telling us so do you think that's fair for me for that conspiracy theory alarm to go off when I consider all of those things happening here kind of all at once yeah I mean it's this is always a gray area for me because I for the longest time, my stance was if the player is not going to use it as an excuse, I'm not going to use it as an excuse for them. But, you know, I mean, now we have pitchers whining to the media about the manager not pulling them early enough. Oh, boy. So, like, I can, I understand why players don't voice maybe some things that are bothering them and and it, it's difficult because at this point in the season 
And by the way, I, you know, sometimes I think most pitchers should be pulled around 90 pitches or whatever. It's just don't, don't go and say that publicly and say it the way you said it. Anyway, um, when you get to this point in the season, everybody's tired unless you're Tyler Freeman. Cause he only, he gets to rest Monday to Saturday. And everyone's dealing with stuff. And, you know, they always say, like, well, if you go give a pitcher an MRI on their shoulder, like, you're going to find something. It's just a matter of, like, how severe is it? And what can the player handle? So I feel like it's difficult to identify how injured someone is or why they feel so fatigued. Like, at this point, I don't know. I'm an outsider looking in. They're not going to admit anything. There's three weeks left. They're just going to suck it up and play to the finish line. And maybe we find something out after the season. Maybe there was nothing. Maybe there was something that just they needed rest. It's hard to get rest. And when you're Jose Ramirez, you don't want rest ever. So it's just, this is such a tricky topic for me. And I don't know. I never know how to approach it. It was even last year. Like we knew Jose Ramirez was dealing with the thumb and like, he can say every single day, I'm fine. It's not bothering me. I'm hitting in the home run derby. But like, I also see that you're wearing extra protection on that hand. Like, you can't ignore it, right? So it's, I just, I don't know. I never know what tact to take. And I think baseball, you know, football, there's the injury report and there's like really specific rules regarding it. And you update it every single day and it is what it is. And a lot of times players play with stuff because you suck it up for three hours and then you can rest it for the week. And with baseball, it's just so different. You're not, it's not violent and you're not moving the way you are in football nonstop. And it's just, I, th- I think guys like smaller nagging injuries are a bigger deal in baseball than they are football because it bothers you every single day. And you know, the way you swing a bat or the way you, like those are unnatural motions. I never know. And I think every player is different. And I think that's part of what's frustrating, what makes this sport so difficult to handicap, is that I don't know what people are dealing with. And if you think about Jose, and like, remember pre-injury last year, his OPS was over 1,000. He was putting together a career year. Legitimate, well, MVP runner-up. Well, MVP third place um, pursuit there. And... Then he suffers the injury and his numbers definitely plummeted and, you know, they're still good in the end, but you see a huge stark contrast. And so this coming to this year, like a big reason why I, and I think many others thought he was due for a huge year was the health. I saw what he did pre-injury. I saw what he did post-injury. I'm going to assume he's going to be healthy until proven otherwise. But now like this season, what am I supposed to think going into next year? Should I cap him at 20, 25 home runs and a 830 OPS? Was he dealing with something? Like, it's so difficult. And so I just spent five minutes not answering your question, but saying, I don't know. Hmm. It's all right. I'm used to it. You did bring up something I did want to talk about, though. Kirby. Now, I... I don't really want to get into the weeds of what it, what it matters to the Mariners and I don't care about that. To me it was it was largely about a communication thing in baseball. 
and analytics analytics entered, entered the discussion like it's softening players and I don't think it had anything to do with analytics. The conversation was about communication, and I feel like it's important because this team is, as Tito has basically told us, is, is going to have a new manager next year. Communication under Tito, for the most part, there were a few things that were in, in question, but that's over like a decade. O-T-O-P. Not too many things where a player was, that could be in question next year if you're hiring somebody that's never been a manager before, has never been in this position before, and even if they have, they're not going to do things like Tito did, for better or for worse. So I think it points to the importance of a player, one, being honest, being honest with how they feel. Because as a manager, if a player is telling me, hey, I'm at 90 pitches, and I don't feel like I got anything left, I would appreciate that. Because the next time I go to him and he's at 100 pitches, and I feel like he... Uh, it would benefit the team to have him go out there for another inning. And he tells me, Skip, I'm good. I got another inning me. I, I got another two innings in me. I am so good. I'm going to believe what he's saying as opposed to someone that just always tells me, nah, I'm good. I can go out there because of some macho thing or, well, the pitchers before me, as if Roger Clemens never felt it after 90 pitches. And there, were, there was never a time where he got torched after that point because he told everyone, hey, I'm cool. That never happened before analytics entered the game. That's silly. The other part of this, and this is where it's important, considering we're going to have some changeover in that dugout. As a coaching staff, you have to have an environment where a player feels like they can tell you that thing. In this specific situation, I don't know who's exactly at fault. I think everybody probably plays some role in one way or another. But as a player, you you definitely want someone that is going to tell you honestly how they feel because so much goes off. How does you how do you feel, especially injury wise? You, you just ask a player because you're not them, and an MRI can only tell you so much. Can you deal with it? Are you good? And at the other time, a player has to be able to feel comfortable that he's not going to get thrown under the bus. That you're not going to go out there and say, "Yeah, well, he just couldn't man up." I don't know how many managers would actually say that in this day and age, but you have to. You have to feel like you're not going to be, it's not going to get held against you because you were honest in this situation. So I think it's a two-way street and it really speaks to the importance of when you have dugouts that are very full of, of analytical minds that you, you still need to establish how important that communication pipeline is. It really, you can have the smartest minds ever, but if they can't communicate what they're doing and the player doesn't feel comfortable communicating with you, you're destined for doom. It, it's going to be a bad situation. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, every every honest conversation is evidence you can use in the future to guide your decision making. I mean, they ask, they check in with every reliever every day to see how they're feeling. And it is imperative that they get honest answers because the last thing you want to do is be in a close game in the eighth inning and you're throwing a reliever who's on fumes. That reliever needs to have the humility to admit when they don't have it that day. And it's different for everybody. Some relievers might not be able to throw back-to-back. Some, I mean, Brian Shaw used to scribble out his name if they put him in the down section. Um, so I think 
Yeah, I think that's important. I, I think that the key for me, and I, I kind of think a lot of the old heads whining about this on social media or whatever, we're sort of missing the point. But the thing to me is just this should not be drawn out publicly. The pitcher shouldn't be throwing the manager under the bus. I mean, I've dealt with one manager for 11 of my 13 seasons covering this sport. And that manager, for better or worse, will never do something like that. Will never throw a player under the bus. And so to see that play out in the public eye was shocking to me. Um, because you're right, that that's a conversation that takes place in the manager's office and or in the dugout, and that's that. And everyone, I think, can be on the same page and understand it. There are some days where you throw 90 pitches and it is easy and you could go throw 110. You're just, they're low stress pitches. You're feeling great. Delivery is easy to repeat. And it's just coming out exactly how you'd want it. There are some days where you throw 90 pitches and it's a slog and you're laboring. Everyone feels like it's just such, I mean, we all go through this. There's some days where you get on the Peloton and your 30-minute ride is, you can't believe it's almost over. There's some days where three minutes in, you're huffing and puffing and want to tip over. You know, I think everyone has that. So, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's not the same thing, but it, it is, I mean, I think the only way to really learn about that, to learn what a pitcher can handle, and, and to, to learn on a particular day, because every day is different, is to just have open, honest communication, but not through reporters. Do it privately. No. Do it at the right time during the game. I'd be pretty pissed if I was Seattle's coaching staff or front office. Yeah, I think a lot of lessons are learned in this situation. The biggest one is do not have that conversation via the media, because then my question is, well, George, did you tell anybody that you were experiencing this? Because if you didn't, this is just as much on you. And then I would turn that back on the Mariners and say, have you created an environment where a player feels like they can communicate that with you? Because that's just as much on you. I think in, in this situation, everybody ends up looking bad in some way, shape, or form. But just don't. The biggest takeaway is don't. Don't throw anybody under the bus afterwards. Ha have that conversation, sure. But don't stand behind that as the excuse for why things go poorly at the end of an outing. And so hopefully that's something that he learns from. I mean, he's a young kid. I'm not going to hold it against him his whole career. They shouldn't. He makes a mistake. Hopefully he gets better from that. And maybe other players can see that and learn lessons too. Um, and here in Cleveland, I think that'll be something that might be at the top of the list of things that I will be interested to watch when that new manager takes over. You know, what is that communication style going to be? Do we see things with this new group that we would have never seen under Tito handled in the, a specific way? Is it better? Is it worse? I don't know. We're going to find out for sure. It'll be, it'll be very weird because it's been a long time since we've seen anybody else doing it any other way within that, uh, that closed clubhouse walls. So how about a trade idea? Oh, Mike Trout? No. Would you want Trout? This guy can't even get on the field now. It's not my money. Before history is written, Bobby Orr, behind the net, the 
it's played, before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time, before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. <laughs> no. So, remember a few weeks ago, you're we talking about Bieber. And I said, there's the scenario we haven't discussed. We're always thinking about trade him for a younger player. What about the scenario where you trade him for a hitter that doesn't have much control left either? It's a similar situation in, in terms of control, maybe how much you're going to pay him or whatever. But you're trading a pitcher, something maybe you don't need, for something you really need, a hitter, even if it's just for one year. I didn't have any specific names. Our pal Kevin, Kevin Beast Bull, on Twitter, tweeted this a few days ago or yesterday or something like this. So what do you think about this? Bieber, Brennan, Karen Jack Curry for Juan Soto. Yeah. Bieber, Brennan, Karen Jack Curry. Yes. Of course. No hesitation. It's right? easier for this team to no replace hesitation. Bieber than to find the star outfielder. Brennan, Curry, and Karinchek, I think, are all replaceable. What am I missing? <laughs> well, they didn't. They've barely had Bieber this entire year. I mean, that's not exactly true. But they haven't had Bieber for a large chunk of this year. And what has gone wrong? How much of that would you attribute to Bieber not being there? Minimal. Very little. Very Yeah, very little. I, I don't think that that would even be in the realm of possible for that to actually take place. I bring it up because I, I think that's a, a fun idea from Kevin, fun to kick around. But that's sort of what I'm, I'm picturing with if you're going to trade Bieber, I think the days of getting this prospect, even a guy you're going to control for three, four years, I just don't see it. Unless they're severely flawed and you're hoping to fix them. You're betting on tools or something like that. But maybe that is the sort of thing you do need to pursue. Trade the one thing maybe you don't need for a thing you really do need, even if it's just for one year. Quan Soto Ramirez Naylor. Pretty good. <laughs> Top half. Yeah. You could have did that last year. I mean, you're going to have... You, let's say you keep Bieber for a year. Like You're going to have a hole. And it's not as much of one if it's a pitcher, but you're going to have a hole regardless, right? You're going to have to replace Bieber. But you can do that. I don't know... You know, if you have Soto, I don't know how you replace Soto. But that tells me that Soto is the more necessary player. Mm, yeah. And I just... Uh, I still don't believe the throwing a bunch of players together highlighted by Bieber is gonna, is gonna make that happen. But it's I think you that's the right track to follow if you're going to make the Bieber trade. Instead of thinking about getting something that's like 30% of what you need, go get something that you really, really need, but maybe you just control it for one year. 
just flipping one asset for another, similar control. At the end of the day, you don't lose anything as far as, like, value in future seasons or anything like that, right? Right. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't see San Diego wanting to do that, but I don't know. If you say the word trade and you're within 2,000 miles of AJ Preller, I think his antenna goes up, so. I mean, I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, it's easier to trade uh, Shane Bieber, perhaps, when you feel like you've got another ace that is very close to him in name in Bybee, who is, again, spectacular today, despite the fact that he's pitched one way the entire season, but now we're calling box on him. I don't know what the hell that was about, like a personal vendetta there exercised against Bybee. What the hell? Were those box? I mean, you're the box expert on this show. I'm not. I'm so bad at that. I don't know. I kind of thought it might be, but I, I I don't know. I like. I used to think I knew what a Bach was, and then Clevenger <laughs> Clevenger did like the fifty toe taps and all this stuff, and I'm like, all right, forget this. I'll just trust the umpires. <laughs> Every time I've ever seen a left-handed pitcher throw to first base, I'm like, that. I think that's a Bach. Yeah. I guess not. I think that's a Bach. Guess not. <laughs> I don't know what a bop is. Why don't is. they make the whole plane out of Andy Pettit's one of the most move? <laughs> one of the least clear rules in all of sports. Is there a least... A worse call in sports that, like, nobody knows what it a is. catch in football? Just at, at the... <laughs> yes. A block or a charge? <laughs> I, I suppose... Depends on who's doing the blocking and who's doing the charging, right? A gimme in golf. That's right. Well, here's what I do know. Bybee is now 12th in F4 among pitchers in the American League. Outside shot to get some Cy Young votes? I mean, is, is he going to win Rookie of the Year? That's my question. That's where I was going to go next. I just So he's fifth in ERA yeah. among American League pitchers. Qualified, I think I looked, I said it like 120 innings. Fifth in ERA. We did this several weeks ago. I don't think he's going to beat Gunnar Henderson. But why? But, uh, Here's my question. Just because I feel like I got a, I got a, good, a real good handle on voters. Do you know the last starting pitcher in either league to win rookie of the year. I'm really bad at rookie of the year. When that comes up on immaculate grid, I'm cooked because I don't remember who the hell wins it. Well, I'll help you out. It was Michael CC Sabathia in 2016. Oh yeah, that's right. With the tigers. That's right. Yeah. It's been seven years and that's both leagues. So, I think it comes down to just, for some reason, voters tend to go with the position player here. I don't know why. Because, like, I don't know how many voters are going to look at war and be like, okay, I'll go with this guy because of his war. But, like, if you're looking at a rookie season and you're not, if you're taking the team out of it, do you, do you care more about a dude who's got like an 800 to 850 OPS? Or do you care more about a dude who's made 30 starts, 150 innings, 
Maybe it won't be 30 starts. I don't know what he's at. But 150 innings or so and an ERA of three strikeout per inning. Like, I, I think it just boils down to what you think is more impressive. Like, what general set of stats. Because I don't think voters are just going, okay, let me list all the position players and pitchers and then sort by war. I don't think they're doing that. I think it's different when you're voting for, like, MVP because you're looking at just position players pretty much. Um, or, you know, pitchers. I, I, this one's weird because it's the only thing that has both where you are giving, unless there's a anomaly of a year mm. where a pitcher wins MVP, like you're really, it's the only award where you're both are in equal footing. And I, I don't know why, but I think voters side with the position players here. And I just wonder like what a pitcher would have to do. Yeah. Like I was looking at the history of it and like DeGrom won. His numbers were insane. Jose Fernandez won. His numbers were insane. Like made me think, but, but Fulmer's weren't, but it made me think like for Bybee to have a real shot, he's got to get that ERA to like 250. And obviously that's, it's too late for that. I think so. It's very, it's just very weird. I think the fact that Henderson defensively has been very good he's played almost half of his innings at shortstop and he's been tremendous defensively in terms of defensive runs saved the thing that that i think about is people are more familiar with his name the pedig the prospect pedigree for rookie of the year that might hold some weight there are some times where i feel like maybe narrative plays a little bit more role in rookie than it does at this point in some of the other awards he does have the better war, and I think the some of the counting stats just look so so much better for whatever reason when you say 24 home runs and 74 RBIs. So the fact that by the end of the year he might have 26, 27 home runs and 80-plus RBI, people, right or wrong, are still going to look at that, and that's going to hold some weight. I don't think he would beat Henderson. My point here was I think his chances of getting that second place are increasing by the day. Mm-hmm. And remember, first and second place, those things are important when it comes to service time here. At the time, we brought it up and thought, ah, he probably doesn't have a that good of a shot at finishing in second. I really think this, this kid might finish in second, especially if he continues to pitch well and finishes strong. I don't know what his workload is going to look like over the next couple of weeks, but... If he continues down the path he's been on and, and continues to to improve a little bit here and there, his numbers are going to be real good. And I think a lot of people might op- might start to overlook some of the names that were really impressive at the beginning of the year. It's weird because, like, I just I just want like Bybee's the only pitcher who's a contender here. And if you look at the position player side, it's Henderson. I mean, Josh Young was going to win this thing until he got injured. But you would think he'll still get some third place votes, maybe second place votes. Like Luke Rayleigh has had a pretty nice year, and I wonder if he'll get some some votes. And then there's a group of position players who, like, if Kerry Carpenter had just played more, he might win. Or Yiner Diaz. Yeah. Remember him? But he hasn't played enough. Edward Julian with the yeah. Twins. Just hasn't played enough. So... I mean, Royce Lewis especially just hasn't played enough. But like Tristan Casas having a great year. And I just wonder if 
I wonder if you look at the position players and you're like, yeah, Gunner Gunner Henderson's having the best year of all of them, but like a 121 WRC plus, like okay, Casas is at 127, Young was at 118, Rayleigh's at 126. Like there's just like there's competition there. With Bybee, it's like he's been the best rookie starting pitcher in the American League, hands down. The end. There's no debate. And people are noticing it now. Yeah. I, I think I think people are are noticing it more than earlier. I just wonder year. if that matters. If you stand out amongst your peers, should we favor the pitcher when he's the only one who's doing it? I don't know. I don't have that vote. Kind of yeah. glad I don't. I I think at this point I think Henderson will be the dude. He's the heavy betting. Unless favorite. something drastic happens. Yeah. But I really maybe you can make a case that just everybody kind of splits it. The voting from there, everyone else has has either been solid or has been great, but not enough time at being great to overcome everyone that's being being solid. And then there's Bybee, who I know maybe it doesn't seem like it, but he's pretty much been in the rotation almost all year. I mean, legitimately, he's been in the rotation for almost the entire season here, and his numbers are really good for a pitcher to a rookie pitcher to have a three ERA and. Some of the strikeout totals at times, like I, I think it's, it's a very impressive resume, and I believe it would be tough to overlook. And the fact that he does stand out, like, wouldn't people say, "I got to look at the pitchers." First things, first names that come to mind are always the position players. Wouldn't you say, "I got to go look at the pitchers," and then you would see Bybee and go, "Whoa, he's nobody else is even close to him." That would leave an impression on voters. A That's little bit. what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know. Are ten wins? Would you enough? put him second? Would you put him second if you had the vote? Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. He'd be in my nope, top two nope. for sure. Um, although Casas has been really okay. good too. Those would be sort my top three. I, this is gonna be question. the lamest answer, but I, I, I do believe in it to some degree. I've never had a rookie of the year vote. I almost feel like I need an instruction manual because I don't know <laughs> how you evaluate. Like what Bybee did and what Gunnar Henderson are doing are just two totally different things. How am I supposed to choose? I mean, I, I don't know. I'd probably go Henderson one, Bybee two, Casas three. But like Casas, I, I don't know. Casas doesn't win just because he's a first baseman. And so he doesn't. His Henderson's getting that defensive bump. Do I care? How much do I care about rookie defense? I don't know. Depends on what metrics you're looking at too. Like uh, outs above average. I think he's at zero. Henderson is defensive run saved. Tremendous. Great at shortstop. Good at third base. I just think and I made this point before this year, but like I'm looking at like Grayson Rodriguez was the top pitching prospect in the sport. And he's come up this year and he's gone down and he's come up and he's gone down and he's got a 491 ERA. And he's thrown 99 innings. This shit's hard. Like rookie pitchers do not come up and make it look so seamless. And in Cleveland, we have become conditioned to that. Even Plesak mm-hmm. and Sabali, who were never top prospects, they come up and they help rescue the 2019 season for a while. Bybee and even, I mean, Williams and Allen are not far behind in terms of resume. You know, they haven't pitched as much, especially Williams. But like they've looked the part too, and it that it just that doesn't happen. And I, I'm not saying it's easy for position players either, but 
I think by we just listed how many position players have had nice seasons, even if they haven't played 130 games. You don't see it on the pitching side. Like Cole Reagan seems to have figured some things out since being traded to KC. He's thrown 72 innings. That's it. You know, Bryce Miller's had some nice moments for Seattle, <laughs> but it's nothing like what Bybee's doing. Hunter Brown is close to Bybee and more, but he's also got an ERA pushing five. Right. So I, I that's based on I metrics know. more than anything. It, it's it's really impressive, and I just I think my order would be Henderson, Bybee, Casas. But I if I actually had to submit the vote, I'd probably think for a long time about just like what's more impressive to me: a pitcher who stands tall amongst all his peers quite a bit or a position player who no doubt and like war will tell you that Gunnar Henderson has done a similar job but like I'm looking at especially the offensive numbers and I'm like they're solid no doubt but a lot of guys are doing that probably still go Henderson want to feel better I'm going to make you feel better there's so much crap that we're now going to flush as we went through that earlier this show and if you made it to this point in the show Props to you, man. I don't know how you did it. I'm going to make you feel better as we end this. With some names. Bybee, Williams, Allen, McKenzie, Bieber, Quantrill. Right now, there's six guys. Remember Daniel Espino? Supposed to be the best of them all. My point here? It's unfair. This stuff never goes the way that you think. Like, how often do you look? Uh, it's is September of the year before. I just mapped this out, and it all goes to plan. That said, yeah, this, this team has their shortcomings. Offensively, they need to figure out a couple of answers. How many teams can boast a rotation that looks like that? And that's why you're not as far away as maybe it feels like as you're watching this team drop three or four to the Angels in that lineup that they put out there. Maybe there won't be a 2024 Selby's Godcast funeral episode. Purely celebration. I'll hold on to that uh, club music. At some point, we're going to do that 24 hours in a row in leading up to the parade. You good to stay up for that show? We'll see you later this week, everyone. Bye.